Music for this podcast is brought to you by Ben Howington, the Mormon guitarist. Visit his website at mormonguitar.com and subscribe to his YouTube channel, Mormon Guitar. Making a Missionary, Episode 1 Be yourself. God called you, not another elder, two times. Welcome to Making a Missionary, where I interview future and return missionaries and church educators to help prepare, motivate, and inspire you in your efforts to become a successful servant of the Lord. Annyeonghaseyo, future missionaries. This is Jake. I'm here with Kyle. He is actually a return missionary from my mission. He was raised in Meridian, Ohio, and is currently lives in Star, which is just north of there where he was raised. He has a family of three and soon to be four now. He is an English MA, and he's working on his PhD teaching English literature and speech to high school students at an alternative school just nearby where he lives. So, uh, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and fill us in the fill in the blanks and give us maybe a little glimpse in your personal life? Yeah, yeah it's nice to meet you guys. Um, really, I just kind of found my way into this field of English because uh, out in my mission, I had plenty of opportunities to teach said English to a bunch of Korean students and found that it was really enjoyable. Though I don't necessarily teach kids how to speak from the get-go, I help kids with understanding basically the structure of English. And uh, I didn't realize how crazy our language was until I served. So it kind of directed me <laughs> into that field and made me realize how much I like this. So a lot of it just came from that initial impression out there in Korea and what it was that people were struggling with, not just Koreans, but Americans with English. So that drove my ambition, got me through over at BYU-Idaho. Uh, I went and did my undergrad there and started my master's over at Boise State and finished at University of Phoenix. Kind of jumped around doing job to job, but now I'm settled uh, with my career and profession and just enjoying teaching. It's actually pretty fascinating and a really fun work field. I like it a lot. Cool. That's great. What? Uh, so you're just focused on high school students? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to eventually work up to a college level, but right now high school students are my focus just because I really enjoy working with that age group. I've got a lot of nieces and nephews around that age and just very connected to that generation. So it's it's very easy for me to work with them. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, let's go ahead and get into the questions that I, that, uh, I have prepared for you. I, I mentioned in, in your introduction that you served in, in my mission in Taejeon, but uh, when when did you say you served? Uh, I started back in 2007, all the way through 2009. So right there in spring, uh, actually about a week from now, back in 2007. So you were just, uh, you got the tail end of, of President Nemro's service, right? Right, right. As he finished, I had him for one transfer before he headed back home. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, and President Nemro... Uh, for those of you listening, President Nemro is was my second mission president after President Reif, and President Nemro was was amazing. Every mission president I've ever met have been great, but especially the ones that I was able to have the opportunity to serve under. They tend to become uh, icons for you, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, they do, and and they i'm sure it's a hard for them to communicate after their missions but i know president nemro has been doing a great job 
sending out messages and invites and having mission reunions and things. So that's been a lot of fun. It's something that you really look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. He just knows how to keep people connected on a, a loving bond. He's a, he's a family figure. Yeah, he is. Um, Cool. Well, you served from 07 to 09. I served 03 to 05 in the same mission. Mm-hmm. And one question, I another question I have for you, Kyle, is uh, when did you become converted to the gospel? Oh, honestly, for me, it was an experience that I had as a teenager. Um, I, I grew up in a very LDS active family. So for me, it was never a question about church attendance or being a part of, you know, young men's growing up. It just was a part of my life. You know, that was what I did. So I never really had to question what my view was or what my moral line or moral stigma was um, growing up through school. So when I was a teenager, I actually had lost my hearing in my right ear through a really, really hmm. interesting illness that doesn't happen very often. It's, it's, you're more likely to get struck by lightning than to get something that does this to you. Oh. But um, just, I was very connected to music, very big into talking to people, and it really adjusted the way I had to interact. I mean, there was a lot of growth with the other ear to try and compensate for that. And I just remember it stressed me out a lot. It made me very upset. It got me very depressed and just made me feel like they're, really wasn't a reason to be happy. And it it was stupid. You know, I I think of it now to think that that made me unhappy was insane, but it made me stop and have to rely on heavenly father and say prayers. I never thought I'd say before, at least pray in ways I never thought I needed to. And it helped me realize why the atonement was important that things as simple and stupid as me losing that hearing um, Jesus Christ understood and knew even better than I did. And it was just the Mm. first time that I ever realized that the gospel was for me, not just the gospels for everybody. Like we grew up understanding the gospel was for me. And it really made me realize that I needed to teach that and help those who didn't know that there was someone who understood them on a deeper level out there uh, available as a resource. So that was my, my biggest hinge. My biggest converting tool was losing my hearing. Wow. That's uh, not a story you hear of very often. That's unique. Uh, but it sounds as though you kind of had, uh, you know, DNC 46 mentions the gifts of the spirit and, and um, you were saying how you're kind of raised in the gospel. You always believed it. seems as though you kind of had that gift of just having, you know, having the faith, like you, you believe the things that you hear and you have the ability to kind of just to just, you know, to just believe it, but you piggybacked your experiences on that. And that's great. Exactly. And it's, it's interesting because you read the scriptures and always hear about these gifts of the spirit. And it never really hit me till that point that mine was having faith and never questioning anything. I mean, I never had to, it was never a question of judgment and sitting there to try and decide for myself. It just fit. And it was a comfortable feeling for me to know that the gospel is true, mm-hmm. but just to become converted to it was a whole different experience. That is great. Well, thank you. Um, and this may be tied into that, but uh, another thing that I would like to ask is for you to share your favorite spiritual experience from your mission. Oh, well, <laughs> that is definitely one of those, um, you've got an entire dictionary of things that you've done on your mission that stick out. But I thought about this for a while because um, I was really trying to consider what I wanted to share during this podcast. And uh 
I don't know if this is something that everybody struggles with, but I never fully understood what Nephi talked about when he mentioned the spirit was like a burning in the chest or that it was a, a feeling in his bosom. That never made sense to me. And I always wanted to know what that was because when it came to interpreting things of the spirit, I'd sit there and wonder if it was just my impression or if it really was the spirit trying to help me understand something. If it was just me feeling good or, you know what I'm saying, right? I just, I didn't oh, know yeah. what it was that people were feeling or what specifically Nephi was feeling. And I remember I was in a place called Gunsan where they've got the Air Force Base. And uh, I was with a companion and we were outside the Gunsan Air Force Base getting ourselves ready to enter in for a family home evening with the local Americans that were there and stationed. And we had a, a situation where the buses only came at certain times. So if we missed a bus, we'd be there for another two hours before the next one came by. Yeah. <laughs> and when we arrived, there was nobody there to, to pick us up, to let us go in. Cause you can't just waltz into a military base, you know, as fun as that would be, <laughs> we can't just walk in yeah. and there was no one there waiting for us. And my companion was just devastated. He just wanted to get the next bus and go home. And so I sat there knowing that that bus would be there in 10 minutes. So we had to make a decision if we were going to get on the bus and go home or take a chance that we would not be let in and wait there for another two hours. And there was a little tiny phone booth just sitting right outside. And I remember walking in there and just trying to get away from my companion just for a second, just to think and to pray. And I said, okay, you know what, Heavenly Father, <laughs> I've been trying to figure out this feeling that Nephi is talking about. I think this is a great opportunity to work this out. <laughs> because I have a really strong feeling that someone's going to be here for us. So I just want you to confirm that to me, that we're going to be okay, that if we stay and miss this bus, that someone will be here and we're not going to be sitting for two hours out in the dark in the middle of nowhere. And just this really strong, overwhelming feeling came. And it is a feeling I had felt before, but I had never put a definition to. And it just, it hit me with such force. I just felt perfect peace and I had never felt that way without knowing what it was coming from before. It just had never hit me like that. And so I, I went to my companion and I, you know, he was the senior companion and the one that makes all the decisions, but I just told him to trust me and just, just trust how I felt on this bus came bus left. And not five minutes after that bus was gone, one of the base members came driving up and they'd just been stuck in traffic in town and uh, took us right in the base. But it was just a feeling of completion of knowing what feeling was telling me. Um, when the spirit was talking to me, when I was trying to understand what the Holy Ghost was saying. And that was probably the most influential experience, not only of my mission, but of my life, of knowing when the gospel, or sorry, not the gospel, the Holy Ghost was there to direct me. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's often you ask a return missionary what their most spiritual experiences is, and it's uh, it's common for them to say, oh, geez, where do I start? So, I'm glad you were able to pinpoint one specific moment and really get us to visualize that, that situation. You know, it's, it's so easy to get discouraged on your mission. It happens every day. <laughs> it, every single day people cancel, uh, you know, cancel interviews or, uh, appointments. you know, can appointments and, and get rejected constantly. But when you receive just even small uh, answers to your prayers, it really allows you to step back and and focus on why you're there on your mission. It's not yeah. to it's not to make everybody join the church and not not necessarily to have this constant 
you know, constant spiritual high, but it is those spiritual highs that allows you to recognize and, and appreciate all the other ones. That's for sure. And it's amazing what it does to you. It just, it, it helps you realize how much you've been accompanied by those on the other side. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think until you get home, you realize how many people were next to you spiritually while you're out on the fields. And you you think that you're alone sometimes when you're out there, but I think it's just one of those feelings that you fall into to realize how many people are on your side. And those spiritual experiences take you to a whole new high that you can't even imagine. Sure. I mean, just, just amazing. Well, that's great. So let's um, kind of delve into the other area of, of a mission field, and that's discouragement. We touched on that a little bit, but do you have something, a specific experience from your mission that you can explain in detail as far as what you would call the most discouraging part of your mission, and how did you handle it? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I think every missionary will tell you that they have a companion that they can look back on and they just had a tough <laughs> time with. I mean, that's just everybody. Yeah. You chuckle now. Yeah. Everybody's got it. And you just sit there and, uh, you laugh, but I, I had one particular companion that I was with for three transfers that I just struggled with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, not even just day-to-day moment to moment. It was a, do I strangle him and just get my mission <laughs> over with, or do I, I keep pushing on? And you know, it, <laughs> It was very difficult because I sat there wondering why God was having my time spent with somebody that was so difficult, that was so hard to talk to, hard to work with, and was so stubborn. And it was one of the most reflecting moments of my life to see my own problems um, and also helped me prepare for my career now. I mean, I work with alternative kids. They're not exactly the best of the bunch. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they act exactly as my companion did. And it taught me so many wonderful things, but I mean, we're talking, I could not get him to want to go tracked. He didn't want to help me with my language. Um, he didn't want to engage in the work the way that I envisioned missionary work. You know, I'd been out for, I think seven months. And so being put with him, I was still trying to get my feet underneath me. And I felt like I was yeah. trying to help him do the same thing. And he'd been, so he was your senior. Long. He was your senior. Yeah. Right. And that was just, it was so rough because you felt like he was supposed to be the one helping you. (laughs) But, but that was by far the most discouraging thing because I just, I needed to realize how to be more humble and the Lord certainly gave it to me. I can, uh, I'm sure every missionary can relate, but I have a companion in mind that kind of took me down somewhat of a similar path. (laughs) It's hard to, it's hard to deal with, but you know what? Every missionary is on a mission to serve and some it's a bigger struggle than others. So uh, thank you for that. What about your biggest struggle as a missionary? My biggest was my language. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, when it came down to people who spoke the language, I was not what we'd call top notch. I, For some reason, it just learning Korean was so backwards to me. And I had a passion for English before, so I was very stuck on the English structure. Um, so speaking was not my... It was not my, it was not my MO to be the Mm -hmm. one to come up with new Dono, new vocabulary while you're out there. (laughs) You felt, I know that just came off. (laughs) Um, I just felt so trapped and yeah, it's just, I've never been so restricted before. And I'm a very social person. I love to talk to people and to feel like that part was cut out of my life 
was the most difficult isolating experience that I've ever had because you literally are blocked off from communication other than your hands and your facial you know, movements that you can do. They yeah. don't really get what you're saying. And that was hard. That was really hard. And I, I say most missionaries, they get to about a year, nine months to a year before they feel like they can confidently talk by themselves. Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, for me, well, my experiences, and I've shared this with, with um, a lot of people, but for me, the language was the, the biggest, the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing I've ever learned. Yeah. It took me about, I remember almost the moment when I felt I got this. Yeah. It was 18 months into my mission. It was when they released, um, when they moved from the discussions to preach my gospel. Yeah. Where the focus was relying on the spirit to teach what you feel you need to teach. And I, that was a huge moment in my life. Cause that was shortly after I became a senior missionary. Um, my, uh, when I was in the same house at 18 months, the same area, my dad came to visit me cause he got permission from the mission president cause he was there for the military and mm-hmm. took a, a bus to, and basically in his English with other people's gro- broken English was able to navigate his way to our house, our front door. And it was, there were a lot of experiences at that point. My, I got dear John from my girlfriend. There was a, a whole <laughs> bunch of things that happened within yeah. just a few weeks where I just remember this time just very vividly, but it was 18 months in. And I remember after I got dear John, after I got that letter, I was able to release some of that focus where I had, I was just thinking so much about home and what things were like, wonder what my girlfriend was doing, whatever. And now that I hadn't had to worry about that anymore, the language like just came whole new page open to, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I, I was really able to, um, proficiently speak so much better than I ever could on my mission. And it's such an eye opening experience. Once you hit that stage, you just kind of wake up one day and you feel like, wow, I can do this. Yeah. And it's, it's such an uphill battle. But once you get there, um, like for me, it, I felt competent at about a year, nine months to a year around there, but I could not fully engage in a conversation and not, you know, think that I was missing any cues or any words until yeah. about 18 months as well. So I get that, that definitely understand that feeling. Yeah, what about your biggest weakness as a missionary? Biggest weakness was just understanding that their culture is different. The pride, like pride. And I think this is everybody at some point or another, but you sit there and you think, man, that is so weird that that guy is hauling a cart full of trash. <laughs> That's so weird that, that grandma is squatted in a weird position, smoking cigarettes, wearing a purple coat. Like who does that? And <laughs> you start to realize that you're being extremely judgmental and it's because you're basing it off of what your normal is, but our normal is yeah. just as weird to them. And the second you break that and start to realize that what they're doing is just what we would be doing, then you kind of, you break that prejudice, but you start to think that you're better than them for a while. And that was my biggest weakness was thinking, you know, these, these people are so strange and so awkward or weird. And, and it just made me feel like I was superior in some way. But that was my problem. I needed to stop feeling like that. And I think every missionary that first month or two, you sit there and really think, what is with this place? Where did I end up on my mission? Where am I? <laughs> yeah. 
So that was mine. It was just breaking that pride cycle. What about uh, the, as far as the cultural differences are concerned, you mentioned it was hard, hard for you to break the cycle of judgment. What, uh, what cultural things from your mission will you keep in your life? I think the biggest thing is the, the way they respect one another. Um, as, as you know, Jacob, there's, they have that jung with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, the way that they see someone in their life as family, when they've reached certain checkpoints or they've been able to, you know, be there for them, they treat somebody as if they're blood. It's just that kind of compassion and love towards another person when they're willing to be there for you and showing that respect by doing things for them in return. Not like it's expected, but um, the, the Koreans always say, you know, if, if you're taken care of, then you need to take care of the person taking care of you. You've sure. got to bounce that back and forth. And I never really put it that way with the relationships before. And I remember coming back from my mission in college, I just started to live that way. When someone would do me a favor, I'd go out of my way to do something back, not because it was expected and not by any means was it, you know, anticipated on their behalf, but I would do it because that's what, these people in Korea did and their bonds are unbreakable. And it made some of my most amazing lasting friendships while I was at college, because I just continued to live that principle of you do something for me and I'm going to naturally respond to something positive to you and also be there when you need it hands down. So there is just that unbreakable bond of trust. Right. Yeah. That Jung that you speak of, that's kind of the word that uh, missionaries use and it, it ultimately means kind of like a camaraderie or a friendship between people. And Jung is really like, like that's it. Like once you have Jung with somebody, you're, you're, you feel like you're in. So yeah, there's, there's no way that you're ever, you're ousted. You have their trust in every possible way. Exactly. And then the, the great thing about Koreans, the Korean culture is they, they will default to giving you that, that Jung. Unless yeah. you do something to cross them or, you know, it's hard as a missionary because you're, you're presenting a mission, a message that most people don't necessarily s seek out and they don't, you know, they don't, they don't look to the, they don't see these foreigner, these Americans walking down the street and want to go talk about religion. So talking about something that's sensitive kind of makes it hard to build the jung in the first place. But, but once you can show that you love the show in your, in your language and your, your actions that you love the people, then you're, you've, uh, you know, you're almost Korean person to them. It's mm -hmm. like you're, you know, like your family. And they love you so much. You learn something simple, like a hello in Korean. And immediately they're just blown away that you went out of your way to learn oh, yeah. something of theirs. I mean, oh, your Korean is so good. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, they'd be like, Oh, you're amazing. You're fluent. And all you did is master. Hello. How are you? I'm elder. So, and so, yeah. and they just sat there, they'd be flabbergasted about it. They're just they're so away. quick to compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember so, so many times on my mission, I I've never comfortably held hands with another man <laughs> more any time in my life. Except for on my mission. Oh, and uh, just the thoughts I'm sure that are going through people's minds that are listening right now. Uh, <laughs> they're very affectionate people, and it's not because they they mean it the way we do. That is for sure. They're no. they're very uh, trusting physically, and it's not that they're trying to to get physical attention, but to hold someone's hand, male or female, friend or 
you know, married spouse, whatever. They just, they trust. And that's their way of showing that I respect you. And it's so eye-opening to see how the world works with physical touch because we have our bubbles. We have our our very protective bubbles in the U.S. That gets broken. And it's a warning to all of you guys listening. Do not hold tight to that bubble because it's going to be burst a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I've... I remember sitting, you know, sitting with an investigator or a member in church and we're sitting at the pew and they're just like running their fingers through the hair on my arms. Just so fascinated that I have that, you <laughs> know, cause like they, to them. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, but they're just, you know, they'll touch and they're feely and it's, it's great. Once you can get past any, any barriers that you have with a personal bubble, then um, you can really let that, that junk, you know, just kind of, just work. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, uh, that first experience every missionary has at the bathhouses that kind of breaks that open form to realize this is going to be a very <laughs> exposed mission. You are not oh, yeah. in your personal space for the next two years. <laughs> yeah. The Mogil tongue. That's oh, a, they're just so fantastic. Those, bathhouse. They're great. Uh, they're fantastic. I mean, if we could pull that off here without the strange people in the United States, I'd be down with it. Yeah. I don't see that happening, but nope. <laughs> I'm glad that I was able to experience it somewhere else. Right. <laughs> what is the weirdest culturally different thing you ate or did on your mission? Oh man. <laughs> this is another this is almost like the spiritual experience question. Where do I begin? But I that is <laughs> that is easily on uh, that same place Goonsan that I was at. I had live squid. That was unique. And I'm not mm. just talking like it was, you know, we cut it up. You have a live squid in your plate and you eat it. It's, it's that you don't sit there and cook it. You don't cut it up. You just put it in your mouth and start chewing. And that was by far one of the coolest, but craziest and most disgusting experiences of my life. <laughs> and yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the weirdest along with um, some of the strange traditions they have with fish. Because anytime you eat a fish, it's you, you don't just eat the meat. You eat everything. Right. That's not bone. Even sometimes some of the bone. <laughs> it's just my eyeballs. So everything. Yeah. The brain, the side of the head, the skin, the fins, every oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't miss that part so much. <laughs> but that was by far the weirdest. <laughs> I don't think anybody gets through their mission without that one. <laughs> the thing that's important is uh you guys who are listening, when you go there, um, you gotta respect that sometimes someone's giving you all they've got. So it may not be the most delicious thing. But these people not there's not a lot of wealthy people, especially in Tejun in that area. So when they present you something that they've prepared, you eat it. You don't question and say, you know, that's not my thing. And obviously don't push yourself if you're going to make yourself sick, but you got to open up and realize that some people are giving you all they have. So show them that respect they deserve. Yeah. Cause that's a, in Korea, the culture is such that when you want to get to know somebody, when you know somebody well, or when you're doing anything with, with other people over a meal is almost always the best place to do it in order to gain that, that uh, relationship with them because they love to share their culture, especially with Americans, you know, people that are not used to their culture, they love to share their food. And, and if you can embrace that and eat the food that they, that they prepare for you, whatever it is, then that shows that you really, really respect them. Oh, they, they love it. They just love looking at you when you're eating tons of rice and they just get blown away that American is eating their food, like at their table. Mm-hmm. They, they get so giddy and excited. Yeah. Yeah. They love it. 
So what experience about your mission do you miss the most? Oh man. Um, I, I honestly miss the spiritual connection, uh, not just with my companion or with the mission itself, but just with me. I, I feel like while I was out there, um, once you get past a certain point, you are on the ball. You are constantly going, 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 and it's from sunup to sundown. You have a purpose every day. And it's, it's not that I don't have that here, but it's so divided from work to family to myself to church. I, I have so much more stress on dividing my focus where there it was just two years that I got to focus on what mattered most. I didn't have to pay my bills I mean, out of my own pocket necessarily. I didn't have to worry about where I was going to get my next meal. I didn't have to focus on paying rent or dealing with school, dealing with a family. Not that those things are bad. I just, for two years straight, I did not have to focus on anything other than developing myself spiritually and making sure that others saw that. And it was just so empowering. You, you realize seriously what capabilities you have to the levels, the, the levels of achievement you can reach. They're just endless. And until you hit that high, you don't see what you're capable of as a spirit and as a son of God. Thank you. What is your biggest strength that helped you as a missionary? Okay. So <laughs> this is extremely important. I'm going to share this and I hope anybody listening does not ignore this one tip, but you got to learn to laugh. And that's my biggest thing is I know how to laugh at myself. I, I've done everything from, you know, horrible stuff at school to things on my mission that I, re, I don't regret, but I did and probably shouldn't have. But learning to laugh has helped me get through awkward and embarrassing situations. And you're going to have them. You will have embarrassing situations. And it helps people be able to breathe a little bit, including yourself. But that's my biggest strength. Um, I, I remember specifically in one area I was with another companionship, we were just going to go out in the street proselyte. We we're just going to go out and just share the word and just have some fun. And while we were walking, I'm a taller guy. I mean, I'm six foot three and that's a giant in any Asian country. You well, stand they out. had low hanging signs. Yeah. They have <laughs> low hanging signs. And I remember walking right into one and it cut my head right open. It just, Ooh. it just slit the top of my scalp. And I was with three other elders and I mean, it was an old rusty sign. And I sat there and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to get tetanus oh, and I'm going to die right here in this tiny little town. And uh, I think it was Kim J. Yeah, that's the name of the place, Kim J. And so we go to the doctors and the entire time the other three elders are freaking out, but I just couldn't stop laughing. And it might've been the blunt, to the, <laughs> blunt force trauma to the head, but I was laughing so hard because I was tall in a short country and I hit my head on a sign of all things. And each one of my companions, the guys there, they were all five foot six, five, seven. So I stuck out, but each one of them had walked under that exact same sign. And I just looked at their feet while I was walking and just hit my head and I could not stop laughing. So <laughs> I, I found that helped me in so many situations, even that difficult companion, I would find things to laugh at, even things that he'd, you know, get upset over. I just chuckle over. You, you have to. And that was my, my gift, I guess, was being able to laugh, especially when I messed up on language. But you just learn to smile and, and nod as it comes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, positivity is uh, best. It's definitely being negative definitely hinders your ability to progress in any way. As soon yeah. as you're positive, you're immediately able to think of a solution to whatever problem there is. 
but uh, yeah. being able to laugh definitely makes it easier to be around. That's for sure. Yeah, I find it really interesting, but I'm I'm sure you had the same experience too. Those missionaries who are grumpy just don't have a good time. Yeah. So let's uh, go back a little bit to the preparation for your mission. What uh, has been, and this may have changed, but what is your favorite scripture? My favorite scripture is 2 Nephi 31.3. And I'll explain why, but it says, For my soul delighteth in plainness. For after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto the, unto the understanding. For he speaketh unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. Um, struggling with the language, I had to be very clear with the simple things to try and get my point across. And sometimes it required being very creative. But I found if I could struggle with gospel language, like that was my weakness. I could not speak scripture on my mission. I figured if I can't do that, this scripture opened my eyes to realize that I can speak what they're familiar with but connect things that I do know. I mean, I know that Jesus Christ died for me. I know that God loves me. And these are things I could say. So I would find ways to connect with them um, and make it plain. Exactly like he said, he says his soul delights in plainness. So I would make it plain. And that was when I started to be more, the most effective missionary could be when I would make it simple and connect it to them and not try and be some pious holier than thou speaker, some master of oratory presentation. Right. I just, the second I made it simple, it was simple to me and it got to their hearts easier. So that, that verse just really had a large impact on me. I, I'm sure you've had similar experiences too, Jacob, but that one just hit me a lot while I was out there. Yeah, I did. In fact, uh, you know, there are a lot of missionaries that focus a lot of energy and time studying like Chinese characters And the, you know, all of the, the idioms and, you know, kanji and, and the sokdams, those are Korean terms for, you know, the, basically the ancient derivatives of the the Korean language and and the the, euphemisms and stuff. Euphemisms and, and things so that they can kind of sound a little bit more intelligent. And, and that's a great, I don't want to discourage bringing in as much education as you can when you're on your mission. But don't let other missionaries who are at that point and can study in deep, in deep, you know, depth, uh, really deep language. Don't let that discourage you from learning and understanding that the simple testimony is the most important thing that you can share uh, while you're while you're out on your mission. And surprisingly, it's really important, guys, that you remember your voice. Um, if there's anything, Jacob, did you ever have any of those elders who, when they spoke Korean, it was like they were a completely different voice, a different person. Oh yeah. And they, they, they were, yeah, they sounded like they were on stage. You just sit there like, you're, you, you hear yourself. This is not what you sound like when you talk to me in English. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we kind of get caught up in this idea of, I need to sound like this, this, and this, or I need to be like this elder and this elder and this elder, because that's what they do to be effective. And uh, the most important thing on your mission is to be yourself. You, you got to realize God called you elder or sister so-and-so to be elder or sister so-and-so, not to be someone else. He called you because you have certain talents and your voice is exactly that. When you go out there and start to try and be somebody else when you're speaking, it really distracts from the spirit because you're trying to be something you are not. Right. Well, that actually leads me directly to my next question, which is who is a spiritual giant you've always looked up to? 
Um, I'm really big into um, a lot of the apostles' works, but when it comes down to somebody that I've just constantly looked up to, it's been my dad. Um, he did not grow up in the church. He was not a part of it and actually got uh, became a member just to marry my mom initially. And for the first 13 or so years, he was just kind of going through the motions. And mm-hmm. as a as a kid, when you're growing up and you see that your dad is doing stuff, you follow suit. You do the best you can to imitate him. But you just could tell he was not into it the way my mom was. And um, he just changed over time. He became someone different as time went on. And so, I don't know, he's always been my hero because he's always accepted the change. He's always been able to accept spiritual growth. <laughs> And I've never met somebody who's had more difficult callings in my life, but he's gone everything from the, you know, it's just been stacked one on top of the other from teaching Sunday school to working in the high council to working with the state presidency to being a bishop. It's just constantly stacks on top and he always takes it in stride. I've never met somebody who takes it without complaint the way my dad does. And he just has a way of learning like a child, but happily accepting that he doesn't know everything. So he's okay with learning like that. And he's okay with people seeing that he's still trying to figure it out. So he's just always been a spiritual giant to me. Can you pinpoint him being a spiritual giant in your life to one specific trait about him that makes him just that giant that you look up to? He as prideful as he can be on worldly subjects The second he talks about anything spiritual, he removes any and all barriers that involve pride. He is the most humble person when it comes to spirituality. He sits there and he accepts that he doesn't know everything and he's okay with that. And it's, it's just, he accepts the fact that heavenly father's got more to teach him. And so it allows the spirit plenty of room to stretch and push and grow because it knows that he's not going to fight tooth and nail to gain spiritual growth. Yeah. Humility is probably one of the most important aspects of the gospel. One of the hardest to learn. Do you still keep in touch with people you met on your mission? Um, it's really hard to just because the, like besides, aside from email, you don't have a whole lot of opportunities to practice your language. So you slowly kind of get deteriorated um, mm-hmm. as you let each year pass. But I do have one specific family I send emails to here and there and occasionally get a phone call from i try my best (laughs) to speak and keep up and they just sit there and make fun of me because i can't speak like i used to (laughs) but i do email one family from a place that i met that i I got the chance to teach from the beginning and convert and help give like just the best experience to as they prepare for baptism and they just are really connected with me that whole jung that we were talking about earlier guys that's what i developed with him and his family and it's kind of a lifelong thing you don't ever break that jung at least i certainly hope you'd never want to but yeah i developed that with one of my families i got to teach and just i don't know he treats me like i'm his brother his little brother <laughs> so that's i great. still talk to them that's the pock family so at this this stage in the the interview i would like to kind of uh I want to have a what's called a motivation round and it's going to be a series of five quick questions that can be answered quickly if you'd like but it's kind of co- going to be ultimately the five questions that I really want the future missionaries to allow to hit home 
to help them prepare for their missions. So the first one is, was there a specific moment that made you want to serve a mission? For me, no. I always knew I was going since I was a kid. So there was no specific defining moment. It was always there for me. Okay. What is the best spiritual advice you have to give to future missionaries? Best spiritual advice is to remember that you don't know everything, even when you think you do. (laughs) (laughs) Be humble. Especially when you think you do. Yes. (laughs) What is the single most important thing you did or wish you did to effectively prepare to serve? I will give you both. I will give you what I did and what I wish I had done. But the the best thing I did was participate with the elders in exchanges to get a chance to see what it is they do. I'm not saying that every time you go is going to be a great experience because every companionship is different and their dynamics are all all completely across the board. But take a chance to go visit with them, even if it's once, just to know what you're about to do. And then go into that MTC prepared to emulate exactly what you saw. And what I wish I had done, I wish I was better at reading the Preach My Gospel before I went. I don't think I read it fully through once before I left on my mission. And that was to my own downfall. I mean, I I should have done better at that. And having done it would have helped me be more effective and open to learning the language because I wasn't so busy mastering the gospel portions. Yeah, Preach My Gospel really contains all the basics that every missionary needs to have almost down pat when they hit the MTC. It's, and it's seriously the greatest book that they have for any, the best literature that summarizes everything for the gospel. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you talk about inspired scripture, this is no exception whatsoever. Right. Preach my gospel is a wonderful resource and it's necessary. Obviously that's where the lessons that you teach come from, mm-hmm. but the red section on the spirit is paramount. It's awesome. So that's, that's great. Thank you so much. The uh, next question is in your opinion, what is the most important trait that contributes to a successful missionary? I said this once before, and I don't want to knock this down. And I want you guys to make sure that you're listening on this. Be yourself. I, I'm I'm not trying to say this just to, to push anything. And I'm not trying to be overbearing on this, but God called you, not another elder two times. He called you. So when you see these companions or these elders that are just amazing, emulate what they do but don't change who you are, improve who you are, take the things that you have and grow. So that way you can be like elder or sister, so-and-so and have those qualities, but you're still yourself. Uh, if there's anything that ever I saw distract missionaries is they would judge themselves and say, I'm not like so-and-so mm-hmm. and they would beat themselves up. And that's, that's exactly the point you're there. You're not supposed to be them. You right. shouldn't be exactly like these guys because if you were then there'd be no reason for you to be in the same mission they don't need two of you so look at people and be inspired but never knock yourself because the lord called you for a reason he needs your quirk he needs your hobbies he needs your your annoying laugh that comes out when you you know you laugh so hard you snort whatever it is he needs that for a reason and don't judge it don't question him just be who you are and love it and you'll you'll do absolutely fine and share a resource that was most effective in your preparation for your mission. Best resource was missionary prep and that preach my gospel. As much as I didn't read the whole thing, the stuff I did learn from what I went through, that is probably the most effective resource because it's what you live by. I mean, if you could quote that book back and forth, 
I mean, I would be amazed if anybody could pull it off, but if you could do that, you have at your disposal an entire encyclopedia of gospel knowledge and you have answers to almost any situation you'll come up with. That's great. Well, now we know hopefully a little bit more of what it takes to prepare to serve an honorable, full-time, and dedicated mission. Thanks for listening. Is there someone special you'd like to have featured on the show? Visit my website at makingamissionary.org and go to the Contact Me page. I'm also available on Facebook at Making a Missionary and The Real Me on Twitter at Nelson. Also remember to subscribe to, rate, and review this show. Thanks for listening. Anyang. I'm pleased to announce that effective immediately. All <coughs> worthy. An able young man who graduated from high school, or is equivalent, regardless of where they live, will have the option of being recommended for missionary service beginning at the age of 18 instead of age 19. Also, given consideration to the age at which a young woman might serve. Today, I'm pleased to announce that able, worthy young women who have the desire to serve may be recommended for missionary service beginning at age 19 instead of age 21.